Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Allie, many of us have this dream of building a group practice that makes seven figures or more, but I don't think many of us think about what we do once we get to that dream, once we have a group practice that is pulling in a lot of money and we're running it every day. I know. I feel like that is such a great point where we often think of that end goal, but then it's like, what do you do when you get there? Or what does your life look like when you get there? What have you had to do to get to that point? And what do you have to do to stay there? Um, I'm really excited because Gabrielle is sharing her experiences with just that, um, building a group practice to over seven figures and selling it because she was spending her days doing a lot of tasks that weren't making her happy. Mm -hmm. And she gives some wonderful advice, so much guidance, a fun activity is built into this episode. So we are going to do the activity ourselves. We invite you to do it with us. So stay tuned to hear what that is from Gabrielle. And before we get into it, as with all of our episodes, this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself. All right. Well, this is episode number 53 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I know that I have been in your Facebook group and you are coming to the Teletherapist Network later this month, but that's not why we're talking to you today. And before we get into your story about why you're definitely a bad therapist, (laughs) why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am an LCSW. I live in Sarasota, Florida. I moved here in 2020, just like everybody else from Denver. And I um, I have done a lot of things in my career. I started in victims services, which I actually really, that was probably my favorite job ever, but I got paid like $12 an hour. So not sustainable. <laughs> and moved into child protective services, got super burnt out there. No surprise. Mm -hmm. And after that, I moved into working for Humana, the insurance company, and I did in-home care management and I loved that job too. But they were doing a reduction in workforce. And so I saw the writing on the wall and I was kind of at a point where I was like, I don't really know what I want my life to look like. Like, I love this job because it's remote and it's really flexible. And my friend at Humana, who's also become like my mentor and really close colleague, was like, I'm going to start a private practice. You should do the same thing. And I was like, oh, 
that sounds cool. <laughs> well, I want to work for myself. <laughs> and that's how I have made a lot of decisions in my life. So I went into private practice and I was working with the same clientele, mostly Medicare clients. And because I had such a specific niche where there's a lack of providers, mm-hmm. I grew really fast. And um, actually a Zumba student of mine said, you should hire somebody and keep growing. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know how to do that either, but I'm sure I can figure it out. And I did. And I hired one and she got full and I hired another and she got full and I grew my group practice to 15 people. And then I got super burnt out and I sold it. (laughs) And here I am. (laughs) What a journey. Twist. I know. Oh my goodness. I feel like that is the perfect segue into tell us about why you're a bad therapist. So (laughs) selling my practice has gotten me so much shame from people in this field. I actually was doing a podcast with somebody yesterday who is a CFO. And so we were talking a lot about this because other entrepreneurs, and Catherine, you can probably speak about this too, like people start their business to sell it. And there's like Mm -hmm. not shame with that. But for some reason, because we help people and there's all of this mindset and stigma that we're not allowed to make money. And for some reason, if you have money, that makes you a bad person and you're greedy. So a lot of people were like, you are a sellout for selling your practice. Um, You're giving up. I also got some feedback that it's like, that's not what people do. Like you just need to like, you know, work through it. You're an entrepreneur, like take the risk and just deal with it and push through because what are you going to do if you're not a therapist and you don't own your group practice anymore? Wow. Can I ask who was giving you this feedback? Um, lots of people, mostly on social media, mm. on Facebook. <laughs> I <Yeah>. know. <laughs> Hiding behind the computer screen. Yep. Always. So... I- I feel like until you're in your, like, I have so many questions, Gabrielle, because I would love if you, and I don't know if you're comfortable going in this direction, but if you are, I would love to hear how you came to the thought process that you needed to sell. I know you said that you got really burnt out and then you sold, but I think that skips over a whole lot of hemming and hawing and thoughts and pros and cons lists. Tell us about what that process was like and how you came to realize it. I noticed that like I could, as a lot of us do, like it was too late, really. Like I was already burnt out by the time I realized it. And that's why I do so much work now consulting with people about burnout. Mm-hmm. And I just was miserable. And I would wake up in the morning and I was like, who texted me now? I don't want to check my email. I have a pit in my stomach. I don't care what happens. I think that was the biggest red flag for me as I was super Mm -hmm. apathetic. And I was like, well, don't care anymore. (laughs) Let's just burn it to the ground. I don't want to do this. (laughs) Um, And so that's where I felt in like my darkest times. And I shared this with another close friend of mine who's in a different industry and is also an entrepreneur. And she was like, well, why don't you sell your practice? And I was Mm. like, "Hmm, didn't know that that was a thing that people did in this field. Um, so we ran some numbers and of course it wasn't enough money cause it's never enough money and kind of put that on the back burner. And I was like, okay, I'll just kind of keep moving forward and like, see what happens. And I was going, um, 
on vacation and it was the first vacation I had taken since COVID. So I was like really in a good place there. So happy to just like be by the beach and not be working. And while I was there, I got a phone call from somebody and they said, we represent this practice who wants to acquire you. Wow. And I was like, that's totally spam. I'm not calling them back. (laughs) (laughs) But my friend was like, no, this is how it happens. Like call them. So I did. And, um, we started the process and there was a lot of, I think people think like, oh, you sell your practice and you like get a shitload of money and then you move on with your life and you're done. And that's not what it looks like at all. (laughs) Mm. Uh, like going through the process was really stressful. It was, a lot of just like an emotional roller coaster. Like one second, I'm like, yes, let's do this. The next I'm like, no, this is my identity. What am I going to do with my life? Like, I don't know. So it was a very, very big, but huge in a good way, life-changing decision. Wow. So this was a decision that you could not do half of, like you either had to sell or not. (laughs) And when you were crunching the numbers, it came back probably you, and I'm just making some leaps here, but pro- then you said the numbers weren't good enough. It made more sense. You were, you were going to make more money running the practice over time than you would selling the practice. Mm-hmm. What was different about that phone call? Was it that there was an offer at your door? Was it more money? What, what, what was different about that one? Was it on vacation? What happened? <laughs> it could have been my state of mind. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> it was more money than I thought it was going to be. And um, it was also my state of mind. And so when I was going through this process, something that I learned is people sell for two reasons, either for money or for lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was for money. And then I was like, actually, no, this is just, this is my life. And I just, I don't want to do this anymore. I love consulting and helping other people <laughs> start a practice and start a group practice without making the same mistakes that I did. But I don't want to be the one owning a group practice anymore. And would you be able to speak to what you were doing, like running your group practice? Because again, I feel like we talk about that of like, or talk about owning a private practice and then owning a group practice. But what does it really look like? What were you doing with your days? Were you still seeing clients? Tell tell us more about that. Yeah. I was still seeing clients and that was um, something that I started to change, I think probably in... 2021 is when I was like, I'm seeing way too many clients. I was still seeing like 20 a week and trying to manage the group practice, which you cannot do. Holy moly. (laughs) So don't try that. Don't try that. Do not do that. So that was definitely something that led to the burnout for sure. Um, So I started scaling down my caseload. And so I was still seeing clients, but I think I had gotten it down to like 10 or less a week. And then it just kind of kept going lower and lower, which was really nice. Um, So I was still seeing some clients. I was doing like our team meetings. I was checking in with my team, not everybody every week, but we would have like a consult or like, I guess it's supervision, but they were all licensed. So really more like case consult. Um, I was doing all of the billing. That was probably what took up the biggest. Oh, yeah. And Medicaid, (laughs) Medicaid billing. Medicaid and Medicare billing. Ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. That took up most of my time. I was doing the marketing. I was doing the um, 
like kind of just little random admin tasks, like checking people's notes, making sure their notes were in, making sure their notes were signed. Um, and also in 2021, when I wasn't sure if I was going to sell or not, I um, promoted one of my team members to assistant clinical director, and he started taking over a lot of that stuff for me, which did help. But it also caused some more stress too, because some of the things that I didn't want to do that I had delegated to him, he didn't want to do them either. (laughs) You know, I heard this phrase, uh, I forget, it was a business podcast or something, one of those entrepreneurial type things, but I think it relates a lot to private practice because I, I, I bet a lot of people listening to this might be thinking, oh my goodness, Gabrielle, you had a group practice that was bringing in revenue. You didn't have to see clients and you sold it. What were you thinking? And the phrase or the quote, I'm going to butcher it, but the the sentiment is everyone wants a million dollar business, but no one wants to run a million dollar business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because the day-to-day running of these, of these businesses, it, you're exactly right. It, you are owning a business is a lifestyle. <laughs> like it really, really is. Um, and so I can absolutely relate to that feeling of burnout from, you know, sometimes I look back at my days that I'm not seeing patients where I'm doing more admin or teletherapist network stuff or podcast stuff with Allie. And I'm like, wait, what, what did I do? And then I think back and I'm like, just a thousand and ten different admin things mm-hmm. that really added up to just keeping the practice running, not yeah. really growing it, right? So I can absolutely relate to that. And when you notice that you're like, I don't want to run this, this is not even worth a paycheck to me, mm-hmm. that's a clear sign. That's a really <laughs> yes. clear sign that, that that business, even though it's successful and bringing in a paycheck, it might not be worth your time. Yep, exactly. And I think that's where people do have a hard time with that. It's like, oh, well, that sounds like really easy. Like you just run the practice and it's making seven figures and that Mm -hmm. sounds amazing. But when I looked at my day-to-day life and I saw how unhappy I was and just very, very in the deep, dark depths of burnout that I think I'm on the other side now, but it has taken me like three years Um, I was like, this is not it. This is not what I want my life to look like. And some people really enjoy that. I think the personnel management was the hardest part for me, Mm. especially during that time when it was just really hard to hire and there was a lot of attrition and like more clients than we knew what to do with, but no therapist that I could hire. Mm. So it just was a lot on my heart and my mind. (laughs) Yes, understandably so. Let's pause here for an ad break. Hey, Allie, let's take a moment to talk about Jane, our show sponsor who helped make this episode possible. Yes, please. Jane is a practice management software built for every kind of behavioral health practitioner, and it's thoughtfully designed with your clients in mind. Jane makes it convenient to meet with individuals, couples, or families, whether that's online via Jane's telehealth options or in person. Telehealth is also completely integrated with Jane, so you won't need an extra software to run your sessions, and your clients can join a call directly from their browser. And Jane's group management features are a helpful way to help you manage your related clients, such as couples and families. You can copy notes between related clients in the same session and invoice a group appointment to a single client. Are you curious to see Jane in action? Head to jane.app slash mental health to book a one-on-one demo. You can also use the code BADTHERAPIST for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Psst. Hey, listeners. 
it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself. And I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you wanna access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website cccs.care and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. Now I'm curious too, again, I'm thinking of like, again, thinking of listeners, you know, tuning in what they might be thinking. I'm curious, were there ethical considerations you had to think Mm -hmm. about in selling your practice? Mm -hmm. Yes, there were. And I think the biggest part too was for me, I wanted to make sure that the people that were acquiring our practice had the same values and mission that I did, which was really to serve the Medicare population. Um, so that was an ethical consideration. And there is a lot of stuff on the back end that you have to do, of course, with like HIPAA and transitioning from one EHR to another and what all of those things look like. Like there's just so many intricacies. How was, oh, I would love to hear it because you said the personnel was a difficult part. I can only imagine the personnel might have been one of the more difficult parts during this transition. How did your staff, your clinicians respond and how did you manage that transition for them? It was difficult um, because another piece of this is that you can't tell people that you're selling. So it's very isolating. So, and a lot of them picked up on that. And actually um, my first hire ever who stayed with me through most of this, when I told her, she was like, you've been so distant lately. I knew there was something going Uh. on. (laughs) And it was because, yeah, I had to isolate myself and it was hard for me to like play both sides of the field basically. Um, so telling them in the beginning, they were all really happy for me and they understood, uh, cause I was always pretty transparent with them about like, I tried to be a good leader in that I protected them from some of the shit, but I also was transparent about some of the shit too. And they knew that it was a hard thing to manage. Um, so they were supportive, but the transition was difficult because it was different and it was going from working to just me to integrating to a bigger system with a bigger team. And a lot of them struggled with that. Hmm. What, what would you say was their biggest struggle? Their biggest struggle, I think, was they were worried about the changes. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, it was a bigger system. So it was kind of like more Mm -hmm. corporate culture. So Mm -hmm. that was the biggest struggle. Um, There were not a lot of changes. I say that. I know that they feel differently. (laughs) But really, the biggest change was that we had to switch 
our EHR Mm -hmm. and everything else stayed the same. Like they really wanted our team to be happy. And so they made sure that they, their pay stayed the same, their caseload stayed the same, like all the things that they did day to day stayed the same. And they actually got more benefits because I wasn't offering PTO or a 401k. Um, so they got those when we got acquired and, um, better health insurance too. So there were good and bad things. So you did everything you could to advocate for them, but of course change is going to be hard. And of course, you know, switching ownerships, it's going to come with some significant change, but it sounds like you were really clear on wanting to make sure that their, their work life, their professional careers didn't change too much as much as you could help. Yes. Yes. Now, I'm curious too, with so many of, I feel like the stories we talk about, we talk about like our internal thoughts of like if things like guilt come up for us. Like I know Mm -hmm. we've talked about the business end of things and then also, as you're saying, like being the person for these clinicians and then also their clients. Mm -hmm. Did you have any internal thoughts that went down that spiral of like guilt, feeling like you could have done something differently? Like besides the business side of things, what was that internal thought process like for you? Yes, there was a lot of that. (laughs) Uh, There was a lot of guilt and shame because I had those thoughts too of like, should I have done something different? Should I have just pushed through? Should I have continued people pleasing and pushed my own (laughs) thoughts and needs aside and just done the best thing for them and like killed myself for this? Um, So there were a lot of those thoughts and a lot of like, what, what do I do now? Like what happens next. And something that really helped me with that is uh, my broker who came in later really just as a support person because I had already, the buyer had found me. But he said, you need to think about your life and what you want your life to look like. And this is just a stepping stone to get there because I was definitely being too we talked about this too, Catherine, in our Facebook yeah. Live. I was being too like narrow in my mm-hmm. focus and focusing too much on like the here and now and not thinking about the future. And so really that small thing that he told me really shifted my thinking. And then I started thinking of it as like, yeah, this is just a stepping stone for what I get to do next. I get to create a life that I love and that I'm excited to wake up in the morning and do. Um, and my identity doesn't need to be tied to this. This is just one chapter in the book of life and it can look however I want it to. Mm. Ooh, love, I that. love that message. <laughs> yes. Yes. I always I try and remind myself on a daily, if not weekly basis that, you know, I'm allowed to be wrong. I'm allowed to change my mind and I'm not the same person I was yesterday or the year before and allowing yourself to shift in the way that feels authentic and natural and good to you. um, I think so many of us, we feel stuck and by our own, by our own doing, right? It's a mental stuckness. So can you tell us, tell us about what lifestyle you have created or are still working to create um, that this was a stepping stone towards, selling the practice was a stepping stone towards. Yeah. So one thing that helped me with that too, if anybody else is listening and feeling stuck or not sure, is um, a exercise that I did at a retreat that I went to last year. 
after I had already sold, but I was still feeling very lost. And I was like, what am I going to do now? Like, I don't know. And we wrote down, and you might've done this before too, or heard of it. We just wrote down our typical day, like what you do every day. And then the thoughts and feelings that you have next to those things. And so once you do that, then you do the opposite and you write down your ideal day. And what does that look like? And what thoughts and feelings do you have there? And that just again, seems so simple, but it really opened my eyes because I was just kind of still in burnout, going through the motions on autopilot. And I looked at it and I was like, I wake up every morning and I doom scroll and I feel sick to my stomach and I'm anxious. And then I feel stressed. And then I sit on the couch. (laughs) I was like, is that how I want to live my life where I'm not connected and doing things that I enjoy? So, um, I'm getting closer and closer to my ideal day now. And I, you know, I have a slow morning. I sit outside and have my coffee every day because the morning light is really important. And um, I work for a couple hours doing things like this that I like, doing consulting, doing training. um, And then I teach Zumba. And then I put some meditation in there somewhere. And then I go to sleep. (laughs) That sounds beautiful and a beautiful balance between, you know, that doing the work you love and, you know, caring for yourself in ways that you love. Yes, yes. And I've also been able, you know, now that I'm not seeing clients one-on-one, that's helped me to um, travel more. So I have freedom to do that. I can work wherever I am. So I'm not really like tied down by licensure or, you know, time zones. So that's been really helpful to me because that's just, that's just what I wanted. I wanted more freedom and flexibility and to work kind of when I want to work and not have back-to-back clients all day long. I feel like this is so necessary to talk about in our field because I think there is still that almost like expectation that as helpers and as providers, as therapists, you know, you have to put your head down for like 30 years and see clients and be that seasoned clinician, like who's exhausted, but almost like feels like that's the goal or like that's what we Mm -hmm. aspire to be. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to do that. You don't have to do it forever. And I love that we're talking about it here on the podcast and that so many people are sharing, like it doesn't make you a bad therapist to want to do something different within our field or even without Mm -hmm. it. It's okay to not just see clients one-to-one. So I love that you're speaking to that and that reflection process of like, what do you want your day to look like Mm -hmm. versus what do you think it's supposed to look like? Yes. And I think I really struggled with that too, because there were a lot of shoulds or supposed to, and you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. this and it should look Mm -hmm. like that. And having additional income streams. Like I talk to therapists about that all the time because we have so many skills and we can do so many things besides seeing clients one-to-one and that does help prevent burnout too. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I I think one of the best points that I've heard in a long time is to consider your lifestyle when thinking about what you, what environment you want to work in, what career path you want to take. Even when you're thinking about multiple revenue streams for therapists thinking, you know, maybe you have a full caseload and you're thinking about expanding to multiple revenue streams. Gabrielle, that I've never done that. What, how I spend my time versus my ideal way to spend my time during my day. I've never done that. I cannot wait to do it. Yeah, same, and I might, yeah, I might lay on <laughs> Allie's vision boarding with that yeah, as well. I love that. 
But I think that's really, really important. And and when I'm asked to go speak to either high school students, college students, graduate students, I always say, like, before you think about what career you want or what major you want or what you want to do after high school, you need to think about what you want your life to look like. Yes. Because I didn't do that. And so (laughs) I have had a whole different career trajectory before coming back to clinical work. Um, And yeah, I, I just really love that point that you need to think about what you want your life to look like, what you want to spend your time doing. Yeah. And it's powerful, really Mm -hmm. powerful. And I can't wait till you do it and you share how it looked for you. Because what I found was like, did I put like something really ridiculous that wasn't attainable on my ideal day? I did not. I was like, this is just how I want it to look. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty much there. And the just it's aligned action. It's not anything like magical that I did. Yeah. I just had it how I wanted it to be. And I worked to get there. That's amazing. It's about getting clear, right? Yeah. Like some of us aren't even, I'm not even clear what I want my ideal day to look like. I should probably think about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> now, Gabrielle, what would you say? I feel like this is a, the way we could ask the advice you would give the question we always ask, but maybe we could do the lens of what would you say to a therapist who maybe is feeling stuck? or burnt out or wants to make a transition, how would you tell them to like start that process of change or anything like that? Oh, I love that question because I am super passionate about that. (laughs) Um, First of all, yeah, for sure. Think about your ideal day. And also this is going to sound cheesy, but it's true. Just believe in yourself. Like Mm. there are no shoulds. There is no supposed to. The only should is knowing yourself and what makes you happy, what your boundaries are, what your values are, and live authentically with that. And if it does look like you want to travel the world and still be a therapist, like you can do that or whatever it is that you want. I don't think that anything is too ridiculous. And I think that as therapists, we can be very narrow-minded and I really love to help therapists get into more of like an entrepreneurial mindset that like you really can do anything. I love that. That is such great advice. I love these moments where I feel like even after like the podcast, I'm like, I feel so motivated by our guests. Like for your, like, I really am so excited to do this exercise. Listeners, please, if you do it, share it with us on Instagram. Like I can't wait to do it. I'm so excited for it. Awesome. Well, Gabrielle, if our listeners want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? I am all over the place doing a lot of different things. So <laughs> you can find me at GabrielleGiulianoVellani.com on YouTube and TikTok and LinkedIn, Gabrielle Giuliano Villani. Instagram is at GJV Consulting. And if you are thinking about taking Medicare, I also do consulting on that too. So that's Medicare Consulting for Therapists.com. I very well might be going to MedicareForTherapist.com. So (laughs) thank you, Gabrielle. (laughs) I am happy to help. (laughs) Well, we will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you. But thank you so much for sharing this. Again, it's a very inspiring story. I'm feeling so motivated Mm -hmm. and excited to just move forward. 
good. I'm glad because it, it took me a long, <laughs> long time to get here. So I definitely used to be in that like very negative outlook, like yeah. very like one track mind. And I have just done a lot of work to change that. And I love to share about it. Or grateful. And thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists. <laughs>